children sing the song of liberation. The God of our salvation set us free. Death, where is thy sting? The curse of sin is broken. The empty tomb stands open. Come and sing the days of see everybody here this morning and another opportunity to start our service off with baptism so we're excited about that and uh, we let you know that baptism does not save you what the Bible teaches is that you come into a personal relationship first with Jesus and then the very first step of obedience for a new believer is to be baptized so whenever we put a person under the water it's a picture of Jesus Christ death and burial and when I pull them up out of the water it's a picture of Jesus's resurrection we just sang about that didn't we and it's also a picture of their old life being buried and then their new life being resurrected to live for Jesus. So we're very, very excited about that and want to encourage you this morning that if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, let you know God created you to know Him, but there's a space between you and God and that space is there because of sin. So if you hold on to your sin, you'll be separated from God forever. But God doesn't want you to do that. What God has done in Christ is Jesus came, He lived a perfect life, he went to the cross and he died for your sin, was buried and resurrected. Now the Bible teaches if you'll turn from your sin and place your trust in Jesus, you can be forgiven of your sin, given a brand new life, and also promised a home in heaven. Amen? And let me ask you, how many of you have experienced that already before? Yeah? Amen. Y'all give the Lord a hand clap. All right, come on, brother. What's happening? Hey, this right here is a good buddy of mine now. His name's Jerry, and uh, Jerry Montgomery, he has prayed to receive the Lord. It was awesome. 
uh, I think uh, one Wednesday night ago or a couple of Wednesday nights ago, his brother, uh, which is here today, where are you at? Mr. Mark, right there on the front row. His brother comes in with Jerry and says, uh, Pastor Levi, Jerry's ready to pray to receive Jesus. And so he had already shared the gospel with him. And so I just had the opportunity to sit down with him. And Jerry prayed and accepted Christ as the Lord and Savior. And we're fired up about that, aren't y'all? And uh, so glad. And uh, hey, what, what was neat about it is it was right before a business meeting. So that was the first business meeting in a Baptist church where somebody got saved. Can I get a witness on that? That was awesome. So we're excited about that. Jerry, come on over here, brother. And if you are a, a friend or family member of Jerry, if you just stand right now, we'd love to recognize you this morning. So glad to see you guys back there. God bless you for coming. All right. Hey, the water is warm today. He's boiling, in fact. It's a little hot. But that's how we get the sins off. Can I get a witness, honey? <laughs> Just kidding. So, Jerry, based upon your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Bear with him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. Somebody else is coming, right? Here she comes. What's happening? This is Miss Lindsay Otts, and Lindsay has also given her heart to the Lord. I know she got a lot of friends here. Y'all stand up, and we recognize you right now. Look at all these. That's awesome. Awesome, awesome. Watch that step right there. Just go right on over. She's given her heart to Christ, so we're excited to be able to celebrate baptism here. And you guys can be seated. And uh, Lindsay, if you'll just have a seat right there. Look at her, she almost died right there. But anyway, so it is crazy hot. I ain't lying. Are you okay? We just, you know, Jesus was in the tomb three days. So I'm gonna hold you under for a little while. I'm just kidding. So Lindsay, based upon your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Bear with him in baptism and raise to walk in newness of life. Woo! We raise her up, didn't we? God bless you. Amen. Love to love to start the services with baptism, and uh, we're getting ready actually to start a new ministry here at Concord. And so we've asked Michael Mooney to come to us today just to share a little bit. Maybe you've seen in the the bulletin about Celebrate Recovery, or maybe you've seen in other churches about Celebrate Recovery. But Michael, tell us a little bit just about what is Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery. Thank you. Is a uh, a Christ-based, biblically-centered program that uh, is based on the teachings of Jesus rather than psychological theories um, to help people overcome their problems with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And uh, we're very excited to, to start that here. Okay, hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Who, who, who does that include? I mean, you can look, don't call them Everyone names. I've ever met. Okay. Um, <laughs> to, uh, to name a few, uh, uh, chemical dependency, uh, codependency, shopaholics, you know you're out there. Um, wow, uh, food disorders, anger management, um, controlling issues, and um, basically there's a whole list that goes on and on and on. So like years ago when I first heard about Celebrate Recovery, I, I was under the impression that was for uh, uh, alcohol and, and drug addictions. You're Common misconception. Okay. All right. Well, what do you need now? Where, where, where are we with Celebrate Recovery? We need help with a leadership team. Um, we've got uh, about with my, my wife and I, and we think uh, two others at least, um, we have the start of a leadership team. We need about eight people total. Okay. Um, and a leadership in Celebrate Recovery is anything from fixing coffee to uh, greeting people, uh, you don't have to necessarily know the 12 steps or to talk your way through it. Um, but we're going to have a meeting next Sunday at 4 p.m. in the fellowship hall. And um, if you're if you've ever had anything to do with a 12-step program, uh, no matter what it is, um, please come out and at least listen and see if you want to be part of this, uh, so that we can help others. It's just an awesome, awesome program. 
Amen. We're excited about it. I'll tell you what, if we could right now, let's, let's pray for Michael. So if, if all of us could bow our heads, close our eyes, we're going to lift you up. Father, I thank you for, uh, for Michael and Shannon and just their willingness uh, to, and, and excitement and enthusiasm about bringing this ministry to Concord. Father, I, I have no idea uh, what you're going to do through this, but we just pray that you would draw people, first off, draw in the leadership, but Father, after that, drawing each and every one of us, those who, who need help with hurts, habits, and hang-ups, Father, to, to come to this place uh, for you uh, to draw us closer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And uh, yeah, James before Randy welcomes everybody, Concord, we've got a soldier in the house. Will London, would you stand up? We're proud of our soldiers at Concord. We are. Yeah. Thank you, Will. Excited about his service, excited about you guys being here. Randy, take Amen. it away, man. Thank you. And if, if you are a guest with us today, you noticed in your worship guide earlier, just a little spot to, to fill out some information so we know a little bit more about you. You can fill that out and drop it in the offering plate here at the end of the service, or better yet, if, uh, oh, it is still here, all right. You can take that uh, to the, the back, right outside that foyer, and uh, meet Pastor Levi afterwards. He'll give you a, a coffee cup which I just heard you can even, if you know how to make coffee, which I don't, uh, you can be a part of Celebrate Recovery. I'll find another area to serve, but I'm not very good with the coffee. Lisa makes the coffee for us at home. So, Otherwise, man, just stand up. Let's, let's walk around and greet one another this morning. Thank you. No. 
things I've heard upon this earth Speaks righteousness for me Stands in my defense and Jesus, it's your blood You gotta sing that with the same thing Your blood speaks a better word Than all the empty claims Heard upon this earth, speaks righteousness for me, stands in my defense. Jesus is your blood.
moment You have brought me to such a freedom I have found in you You're the healer who makes everything new Yeah, yeah, yeah Right, you know, the Bible says that if any man be in Christ, he's a brand new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So we're fired up this morning, those of us who know Jesus personally, because he's given us a brand new life and we have the opportunity to move forward with him. Amen. And we want to praise him now in a time of prayer. So let's bow together. Father, uh, it is a great privilege to come into your house and to worship you and to know that uh, your touch upon our life changes us totally, radically changes our direction. Father, I thank you for that, and thank you so much for this choir and uh, just their ability to lead us into your presence. God, what an awesome truth that is. And I want to pray this morning, God, that the reality of what has just been sung would indeed be true in the lives of every single person in this building. God, there may be some who've come today, they're visiting, or perhaps they're just guests. They've been here several weeks in a row. But Lord, they've yet to place their faith in you. They've not made a genuine commitment surrendering their life to you. God, use your word today to draw them to salvation and do a phenomenal work in our midst. And God, I pray as well, as we continue to worship, we as believers would lift you up with whole hearts, uh, trusting your word that when we lift you up, you draw people to yourself. And so Lord, even now as we sing about the blood of Christ, help us never to get over what you've done for us through the cross of Jesus, how you brought us near and made us your sons and daughters. 
And now, God, we love you, and we continue to worship you. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.
bless you. <clears throat> Makes it real easy to get up and preach after a great worship like that. I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Luke, if you will. If you're visiting with us this morning, welcome. We are going verse by verse through this marvelous gospel. So we're looking together in the gospel of Luke. And I want to invite you to stand with me in honor of God's word this morning as we talk on the subject, Astonished. Luke chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 12. You got that in front of you? Say amen. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. The scripture says, uh, while he, speaking of Jesus, while Jesus was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, uh, you can make me clean. And he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But the news about him was spreading even farther, and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Let's bow. Father, it's a great honor to open up the word this morning. I pray you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me unction from heaven to preach in such a way as you see fit and you desire. God, you know the people who are here this morning. Uh, I don't. Uh, Lord, you know every person's location. That is where their heart is located. God, I don't. So, Lord, I trust completely in you to work uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit, drawing those who do not have a relationship with you. God, draw them to salvation this morning. Uh, those, Lord, who do have a personal relationship with you, I mean, put a passion in their heart to live uh, sold out for you, uh, sharing uh, your grace to others. And so, God, I just trust you to work during this time. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, amen, and you can be seated. <clears throat> While he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered in leprosy. Now, the disease of leprosy very seldom enters our minds in this modern era. However, this disease was greatly feared among people in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament days. Leprosy was a slowly progressing and incurable skin disease. Infectious sores, scabs, and white shining spots beneath the skin characterize the disease. E.W.G. Masterman, in his article on leprosy in a book entitled Dictionary of Christ in the Gospels, he describes a person with leprosy in this manner, and I quote, uh, their eyebrows fall out, the eyes become staring, ulcers begin to grow on their vocal cords, ulcers begin to grow on their hands and their feet, and slowly a person becomes a mass of ulcerated growths. As the disease develops, the injury to the nerves causes discolored patches and blisters. The muscles waste away. The tendons contract until the hands become like claws. And there's always disfigurement of the fingernails, the feet of the leper, and the hands of the leper progressively rot, and the fingers and their toes begin to drop off of their body. The body of a leper simply wastes away right before the eyes of the leper, end quote. Now, a person who contracted this disease in biblical times faced a horrible destiny. In fact, as I studied this, there was a single term that I think best describes those who have this plight in their life, and that word is outcast. They were considered hopeless. And I found in my study that the leper would most often live in caves and empty tombs. They were repulsive to others. They also were repulsive to themselves. They had no desire to see what they looked like. There was no cure for the disease of leprosy in these particular days. There was no medicine that could help, no science that could help. The person who had the disease of leprosy was considered a dead man. In fact, William Barclay, he writes about an ancient practice held by some church leaders, which I found to be interesting. He states, and I quote, The leper is so hopeless that it is recorded how a priest would dress in a long protective robe, carry a crucifix, and lead the leper into the church, and there conduct a funeral service for the leper. The leper was known as a living dead person. A family member would be considered dead if this disease was contracted. You know, prior to this ancient practice by some church leaders, we note in the book of Leviticus how the people of God addressed those with leprosy as being unclean. It was a ceremonial uncleanliness. In the book of Leviticus chapter 13, we read and listen closely. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. 
And he shall cover his upper lip like this and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. And then the Bible says his dwelling shall be, and listen, shall be outside of the camp. Now that is a phrase I want you to remember throughout this message, all right? Outside the camp. So I want you to repeat that on three. Outside the camp. One, two, three. Outside the camp. Very important. Now, those with leprosy were placed in separate houses. They were cut off from God's house. They were cut off by the priest from being involved in the rites and the rituals and ceremonies of worship in the temple of God. And you can imagine how people would scatter from the presence of a leper as he proclaimed his disease with his hand cupped over his mouth. You see, they would scatter from him because if they touched him, they not only could get the disease, but they also would be considered unclean ceremonially and had to go through a rigorous process to prepare themselves to get back into the temple of God. Now, our passage this morning captures our attention without a shadow of a doubt because we see the interaction that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, has with an individual who has the disease of leprosy. And Jesus does the exact opposite of what other people would do. When they saw an individual with leprosy come, they would scatter and run. However, we note this morning that Jesus steps out to minister to this outcast. Jesus steps out to minister to the outcast. Look in your Bible again in verse 12. The scripture says, while he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, the leper caught a glimpse of Jesus coming towards him. He did the opposite of what he was supposed to be doing when a crowd came near. He did not shout, unclean, unclean. The scriptures uh, teach us that he actually went toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in your mind's eye this morning, you can actually see this man running toward the Lord Jesus Christ. His scraps of clothing waving in the winds. His hair, which is unkept, is actually hanging down in front of his face. And he in the direction of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can picture the dust from the ground. It is filling the air around him as he plunges his lifeless body to the earth before the Lord Jesus. He then asks and actually makes a statement to Jesus, which I'm confident he had made to no other man before in his life. And that statement is found for us in that text. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, very quickly, when I considered this particular passage of Scripture, oftentimes I had in my mind's eye this leper falling down at Jesus' feet and screaming out, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. However, with the disease of leprosy, the ulcers would grow upon your vocal cords, and it would actually keep you from boldly and emphatically shouting. So when the leper fell down at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, it was not a bold shout, but rather it was a harsh whisper coming through as he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, in total submission, the leper asked for the will of Jesus Christ. If it is in line with the desire and the purpose of Christ, the leper states that Jesus has the innate power to heal him from his disease. So what would Jesus do? Now, typically people would avoid those with leprosy, but how did Jesus respond to this outcast? Look in your Bible in verse 13. The Bible says he stretched out his hand and he touched him. Now stop, pause there for just a moment in your attention, please. The, the verb tense used by Luke here in this text for stretched out actually gives the imagery of someone grabbing another in efforts to apprehend total control of them. And then you notice the second word there is the word touch. And this word touch is derived from a root word which means to kindle or to start a fire. Now stay with me because this is awesome. The same term used uh, in Acts chapter 28 speaks of building a fire and actually showing someone hospitality. It's more or less giving me the picture in my mind completely opposite of what I've had for so many years when studying about the leper. I typically saw Jesus, you know, reach out very gently and, you know, maybe touch this leper with his finger and just heal him. Uh, but that's not the case from Luke's perspective. And that's not the imagery that you and I should hold in our mind. 
The Bible teaches that Jesus grabbed hold of the man. So the man falls down at his feet, but Jesus grabs hold of him and apprehends total control over his lifeless body. And then the scripture says that he touched him. It gives the imagery of Jesus not only grabbing hold of the man, but pulling the man into his warm embrace. He showed hospitality. And then what I love is what Jesus says. Jesus says in this text, I am willing. And immediately, this is awesome, the leprosy fell from him. Now, what's wild about this passage? And um, I'll just share a real quick uh, story to you uh, about preaching in Africa. I was preaching um, on one occasion in Africa out in this, uh, oh, I got something coming out of my mouth. Y'all all right? <laughs> Probably, never mind. But uh I apologize for that. But I was in Africa preaching, and uh, I was all fired up. We were preaching this mud hut, and I had two interpreters. So I would preach in English one sentence, and then they would translate it in Amharic, and then from Amharic, they'd go to Aroma, and then in Aroma, the people could actually understand what I was preaching. I was preaching on how Jesus healed the blind man. And I was pretty fired up about it, too, because I had the word blind actually detailed out. Uh, I used the word blind as an acrostic to describe what it looks like spiritually to be blind. So I was going to talk about how we were born in our sins, you know, we're lost from God, and that I meant something too, which was really cool. I just can't remember it now. But anyway, so I was real excited about teaching this, and I was preaching about how Jesus rubbed, the, uh, rubbed his own spit into the mud and then applied it to the eyes of the man. It went damn hard, it went to Aroma. And then I preached on how Jesus wiped it away and he could immediately see. And then it went to uh, Amharic, and while the Amharic man is teaching, I'm looking over my notes, ready to go into the application. And then it gets over to Aroma, and in Aroma, he speaks and says, and Jesus healed the man and the man could see. And the entire church in that single solitary moment jumped to their feet, started screaming and shouting and clapping their hands. You know what they were fired up about? Not my cool little application. They were fired up that Jesus just healed a man who couldn't see. And you know what's wild too? I didn't even preach the rest of the sermon because I felt such conviction because my heart had become so hardened to the fact that Jesus has the ability to heal people that it didn't even phase me. I just want to talk about my little cool acrostic, which ultimately was cool. Y'all all right? But ultimately, I don't believe that's what God wanted to share. So while I was preaching, what was wild is that God was actually giving me a message saying, don't grow hard-hearted about what my son has done. And this morning, I just shared with you, Jesus Christ, reached out, apprehended a man, pulled him close into his embrace, said, I am willing you be cleansed. And the leprosy which plagued this man's life was completely removed from him from here until his passing. What an awesome Christ you and I serve who has the ability beyond a shadow of a doubt to touch and heal anybody he so chooses. So we ought to get fired up about that. <clears throat> Now, if a, uh, what's wild is Jesus did everything wrong, too. Jesus turned everything upside down. He messed everybody's ideology up, especially the religious people. And I'm confident he'll do that uh, to us as well, who consider ourselves religious as we study through Luke's gospel. But here in this text of Scripture, uh, we need to just be reminded that if a person touched an individual with leprosy, they were considered to be unclean as well. So when Jesus reaches out and grabs hold of this man and pulls him in, they just touch him with a finger. But pulls him into an embrace, everybody would have stopped in that immediate moment thinking to themselves that indeed Jesus, perhaps he is unclean. See, the unclean person transfers his unclean status to those who come in contact with him. However, that was not the case with Jesus. He did not avoid the man who was unclean. Which, by the way, there's a good principle in that, and I'm going to preach on it next week. The calling of Christians is not to avoid people who don't know Jesus. So often what we want to do is separate ourselves from the person who desperately needs to know Christ. That is not the calling of the Christian. We go out where lost people are, and we tell them about Jesus. However, that was not the case. Y'all still with me? Say yes. Y'all will wait for that sermon next week, I reckon. When Jesus touched the man, he did not become unclean, but instead he actually transferred his cleanliness to the man who had leprosy, radically changing him 
in, ve- in the very face of every onlooker. Now, when I consider the disease of the leper from the Old Testament, I can't keep uh, from making the parallel to that of a person who has sin in their life. Those who are born into sin, the Bible teaches they're outcast from God. They cannot worship God because of their sin. They are considered walking dead people to God. You know, the Bible teaches that in Ephesians chapter 2, we're dead in our trespasses and sin. But just like the leper of the Old Testament, those in sin are living, here's that phrase I want you to remember, outside the camp of God's people and worship of God. Are y'all listening? And this is huge. What What the world needs is for someone connected to God the Father to come outside the camp and actually make us clean. Who has done that? Hebrews 13 and 12 in the New Testament says, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his blood, suffered outside the camp. That's in the New Testament. The Hebrew author is trying to tie in what is taking place in the Old Testament when the priests would go outside the camp to meet the leper. Jesus went outside the camp. In this passage of Scripture, he stretches out his hand to a man who is unclean, and he absolutely heals him. However, it is only a snapshot of what Jesus would ultimately do. He would soon be taken outside the camp and stretched out both of his hands and have them nailed to a tree. It would be through his forceful death on a cross where he would be apprehended by the nails in his hand that he would, and this is why, that we who would come to Christ like the leper, seeing our sins as a terminal disease like leprosy, casting ourselves at his feet in humility and just simply saying to Jesus, Lord, if you are willing, make me clean. And I've got some phenomenal news for every person in the building this morning, especially those of you who have yet to come to faith in Jesus Christ. You've come to the house today. Great news for you. Jesus Christ is indeed willing to make you clean. In fact, the Bible says he is not willing that any should perish, but all to come to everlasting life. So I don't know how riddled your life is with sin this morning, but it doesn't matter how disgusting you think that you look. It doesn't matter what others are saying about your life. It it doesn't matter how separated from God that you feel you are. It doesn't matter how much of a mess you've gotten into. The Lord Jesus Christ went outside the camp to seek and to save that which was lost. And by his divine grace, God in Christ will stretch out a nail-scarred hand, apprehend your life right where you are, and pull you into the warmth of his embrace. You don't get cleaned up and come to Christ. You come to Christ, and he cleans you up. And when he says the word, the sin which has had a grip on your life will be completely broken. The stench of death which has followed you will be removed, and the sweet smell of eternal life will become your new fragrance, Jesus Christ. His cleanliness, His righteousness. When He touches you right where you are, it transfers into your spiritual bank account. And because Jesus Christ has touched me, the righteousness of Christ has been entered into my spiritual bank account. And when God the Father looks at my life, He sees me as if I'd never sinned before. Good night. That's what Christ has done. Comes outside the camp. There's a second reality. Not only does Jesus... And let me just ask you, since y'all seem to be listening real well this morning, aren't you glad that Jesus steps out to minister to the outcast? Listen, that's what Jesus came to do. And by the way, Jesus came as the king of the Jews. And when they rejected him, the gates were opened wide for Gentiles to come on in to the family. So when the Jews rejected Jesus, the gates were open. And guess what? Every Gentile now has an access road through the cross to come to God the Father and be adopted. Listen, listen, listen. This is wild. This is wild. Whenever you see that, you realize that you're not a Jew but a Gentile. You were an outcast but God brought you into his family by grace. That's what he's done. I love how Jesus does this stuff. And guess what? He's still doing it today. You might be in the house today and you're like, good night, I feel like I probably ought to come to Jesus. You're right. (laughs) You ought to. And it's wild. You know, every once in a while preaching, somebody say, well, preacher, I was listening. I felt like somebody was grabbing hold of my shirt collar and trying to drag me forward to make a decision. 
Look, don't have the power to do that. If you feel that way, that's the Holy Spirit of God knocking on the door of your heart saying, you need to listen to that preacher. Repent of your sin. Come to Christ and be cleansed. Only the Spirit of God can do that. Can I give you all a second point? Here we go. Jesus is revealed in the Old Testament law. Now, I know that doesn't sound earth-shattering, but you just wait. Jesus is revealed in the Old Testament law. Look in your Bibles, verse 14. The Bible says, and he ordered him, speaking about that leprous man who just got healed, he ordered him to tell no one. But go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded, as a testimony to them. Now, Jesus often spoke of the Old Testament law referring to himself, testifying and witnessing of who he is, his life and ministry. In fact, Jesus states just before his ascension in the last chapter of Luke's gospel, he says, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So here in these verses, the cleansed man was now not to go out shouting about his healing because the time for declaring Jesus had not yet come. However, Jesus wanted others to see that his life and ministry are spoken about in the Old Testament law. Now, follow my train of thought here because this is awesome. If Jesus said, go make an offering to the temple, the offering that a man uh, had to make who had been cleansed of leprosy must be a witness to Jesus. So the question is, what did a man have to do when he went to the temple after being cleansed from leprosy? Now, this past week, I found myself studying a passage of Scripture in the book of Leviticus, chapter 14. I had to dust the page off. I hadn't been to Leviticus in quite some time. Have y'all? Don't sit out here and look spiritual. Y'all all right? It's in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. That's right, isn't it? Leviticus chapter 14 and 2. And I want, you to, I want you to check this out. I want you to listen. All right? I want you to pay very close attention because we are headed somewhere that's liable to blow your face off because this is so awesome, all right? So listen closely to what the leprous man had to do. According to Leviticus 14, the Bible says, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. Now he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go outside the camp. The priest shall look, and if the infection of leprosy has been healed in the leper, the priest shall give orders to take two, this is where you got to listen, to take two live, clean birds and cedar wood and scarlet string and hyssop for the one who is to be cleansed. The priest shall also give orders to slay that one bird in an earthenware vessel over running water. As for the live bird, he shall take it together with the cedar wood, the scarlet string and hyssop, and shall dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was slain over the running water. He shall then sprinkle seven times the one who is to be cleansed from the leprosy and shall pronounce him to be clean and shall let the live bird go free over the open field. This is only the beginning of what the leper who had been healed had to do. Now, according to Jesus in Luke's gospel, this activity in the law of Moses testified of him. But how is that? Think about it for just a moment. You have one bird shoved in a clay jar. Then the bird is put to death. His blood mixed with water flowed over another bird who was alive. Then most agree the cedar, the scarlet thread, and the hyssop were used as a sprinkling device. And the, the blood of the bird was sprinkled on the body of the leper seven times. How many times? Seven times. And finally, the live bird was set free into the heavens. This testifies of Jesus? Sure does. Jesus, the eternal Son of God the Father, stepped out of heaven and was pressed into an earthen vessel. Paul the Apostle uses the idea of an earthen vessel to describe a person's body in the New Testament. So Jesus, 
The eternal son of God was shoved, as it were, into a body of flesh. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. And then John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh, and it dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And just for free, when it says that he dwelt among us, it literally means that God pitched his tent in the person of Jesus Christ and walked among us. So here we have Jesus being shoved into this body of flesh. And while in the flesh, Jesus Christ, like the bird, was crushed as our sacrifice on the tree at Calvary. Scripture states on the cross, blood and water flowed. The blood of Jesus shed on the cross has the power to completely cleanse all who come to him by faith. Trusting him. Now, think about it for just a moment. The blood was sprinkled. How many times? I forgot. Seven times on the leper. Seven is a number which represents completion. It spoke to the leper's complete purification of the disease. Jesus, does he sprinkle you and I seven times? Jesus' blood was sprinkled first from his head as the crown of thorns were thrust upon him in mockery. Jesus' blood sprinkled secondly from his back as the cat of nine tails tore away at his flesh. Jesus' blood sprinkled a third and fourth time as his left hand and his right hand were nailed to the tree. Jesus' blood sprinkled a fifth and a sixth time from his left and right foot as they were nailed to the tree also. And finally, Jesus' blood sprinkled a seventh time from his side as a spear pierced him. See, the priest would sprinkle the blood seven times on the leper, signifying that a complete act of purification had happened in his life. But those of us who come to the cross of Christ by faith are sprinkled with the blood of Christ from seven places and our sins are absolutely removed as far as the east is from the west. They are thrown into a sea of forgetfulness. Jesus Christ bleeding from seven places. Picture it this morning that you came at one point in time in your life to the cross of Christ realizing that you were just like the leper. Hopeless, outcast, nothing that you could do to clean yourself up and you finally realize that God loved you even in the state of your sinfulness and God stepped out of heaven in the person of Jesus Christ leaving the true tabernacle of God in heaven coming outside of the camp and one day while perhaps you were in a message like this sitting in a pew all of a sudden Jesus reached out and touched you or I don't know maybe you were in your house and somebody shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with you and the spirit of God Christ touched you in that moment and you fell down in humility and you cling to the cross by faith realizing that his death paid for the penalty of your sin which was death and his blood flowing from seven places would trickle down upon your life and God the Father would declare you from heaven's courtroom to be absolutely purified of all of your sin. How awesome it is. The ministry of Jesus, who, by the way, is our high priest, who has come to connect you to the Father. And by his grace, you can experience utter purification, complete purification because of his blood. There is a fountain filled with blood. It's drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge. It doesn't say, and those who think they are righteous plunge. No, no, sinners plunge. Listen, I was a sinner without God until I came plunging under this fountain of the blood of Christ. Sinners plunge beneath that flood, and they, listen, lose all of their guilty stains. 
You know, I fear this morning that perhaps you have come to church and you are listening to a message and God is trying to get your attention because you are like the leper and he is trying to apprehend your life this morning. And in a stubbornness of heart, you are saying, that message is not for me. Listen, if you are sitting out there trying to convince yourself not to listen, that means you ought to be paying very close attention. God is trying to speak to you. Pulling you close. What about that second bird? Remember him? They would let that bird fly up into the heavens. Y'all know where this goes. The death which apprehended our Savior, uh, was upon him by God's sovereign hand allowed to be three days. Remember, by the way, it was the sign of Jonah. So that was all God was doing this. Are y'all listening? Please don't blame the death of Jesus on anything else but the sovereign love of God, sending his son to be sacrificed for us, placed in a tomb three days later. Then he was let out like the bird. <laughs> he ascended into the heavens like the bird. And when the bird went up, he had been under that blood and water, and when the bird of the Old Testament went up, there would be blood trickling down. When Jesus went up, he went up into heaven with the only man-made thing in heaven, which were the scars in his hands and feet. But as he goes up, can't you see them? His blood still purifying. You and me who come to the cross by faith. <laughs> hey man, don't you ever get over what Jesus Christ has done for you. And I would say in this passage of scripture, Jesus says, hey, now I just healed you, but don't go tell anybody. In other words, there was a time frame where Jesus's uh, Messiahship was actually silenced and it was supposed to be that way. We'll talk about that later. But for those of you who have gone to the cross and you have plunged your sinfulness under his blood and be cleansed, guess what? Jesus doesn't look to you or I and say, now go tell no one. He does the opposite. You who have been cleansed, go tell everybody. Here's what I know. If you are not sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, for some reason you have grown hard to what Christ has done for you in the cross. And you can sit in a service like this and be like, that's a good message. That's encouraging. And I've even heard people, you know, in the past that get all fired up uh, in the churches because people aren't singing about the blood anymore. And I'm all about that. I agree. We ought to sing about the blood, all right? But I don't think we ought to get fired up because people aren't singing about it. I think we ought to get fired up because people ain't talking about it when they leave church. You've been cleansed. You've been to the fountain. You've experienced grace. Your sin's thrown as far as the east is from the west. Why are you holding on to that? Go tell somebody, man that they might experience the grace which you have experienced. So I'd encourage you this morning, two things. You ready? Look at me real, real quick. Eyeball to eyeball, I promise I'm done. Some of you are in the house today and you haven't been to the cross. You haven't been saved. I'm telling you, you need to get saved this morning. Repent means turn from your sin, run to Christ. He's there to meet you and cleanse you. Anybody experience that? Say yes. Hey, so, and don't come up in here and be like, well, I don't, I don't like listening. I don't care if you like listening to it or not. Y'all listening? Jesus Christ holds on to the hand of God the Father, and he reaches out a nail-scarred hand this morning, inviting you to take hold. Don't you turn from him. He's the only way you can be saved. So some of y'all just need to come to Christ, come to the cross, man. 
Quit putting that off. Quit acting like maybe later, maybe later. No, no, now. Today's the day of salvation. That's what my Bible says. So today is a day when you can be saved because Jesus wants to save you. So don't sit out there in your sin. And then I could talk to all y'all who are saved. Y'all listening? Let's start praying for lost people. And then let's start telling lost people how we used to be outcast too. But God brought us into the family. He said, well, I don't want to go out and judge anybody. You ain't going out and judging nobody, please. You're going out and helping people. That's what we are. It's like we run out with the life raft. Y'all listening? I get out there and we just throw it out, man. Cling to Christ so you don't drown. <laughs> you know, in the New Testament, promise I'm done. You know what they said in the New Testament? They said, man, these people, uh, out there, they following Jesus. They turning the world upside down. It's in the book of Acts. I often thought what it would be like if they started saying, those people down there at Concord, they turning this whole place upside down. <laughs> They'll never say that if we don't go out with the gospel. So we get out there with it and share. Listen, your life is so short, man. Your life is so short. You'll be here one minute, you'll be gone the next. So will I. Only what you do for eternity will count. So don't sit up in here and, well, I ain't got time for that. Yes, you better make time. And listen, if you've been saved, you wouldn't be saying stuff like that. You, and I'll say it like Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I'll blame it on him, and then I promise I'll pray. You have no desire to share the gospel. Be sure of this. You have not experienced the gospel yourself. Let's pray. Father, speak to uh, hearts now.